Welcome to the first installment in the newest series here at The Well, which is called Bold, All Things to All Men. And it's a series that I'm very excited about, as I spoke about a little bit today earlier. And I hope that you're excited about it as well. And I'm going to give you one simple story at the start of the series, and it's going to explain why it is that we're doing such a series. Let's say there was a man, imagine a man who had two sons. And this man, his two sons, couldn't be any different, okay? Each one was had their own unique personality and their own unique, everything about them was unique. And the man had a system that he implemented in his household, which is similar to the way most of us grew up, which is that, you know, if you did good things, you got rewarded. And if you didn't do those same good things, you didn't get rewarded. So, for example, if you get good grades, you get, you know, a dollar per A, all right? Or you do your chores and you get, uh, you know, allowance at the end of the week. Or, you know, you uh, do whatever it is that you're asked to do and you're obedient and respectful, and you get little things here and there. Well, like I said, the two boys were opposite extremes on this one. The one boy was always getting straight A's. So every report card time, he shows his report card, and the dad would lay down the seven bucks right there on the spot, straight A's, seven bucks. The younger kid had a lot of C's, some D's, maybe stretch up into the B's, but it wasn't because that he was dumb. It's just that he wasn't it, it, trying hard enough. Right? So the dad kept saying, try hard, boy, and then you'll be able to get the money like your brother. Same thing when it came to the chores. The younger brother never did his chores, never obeyed, never was respectful, and he never got any of the rewards. And who was bothered the most by the younger son not getting the reward was the dad. Okay, Because the dad really, really, really wanted to give both kids the same amount of rewards. This goes on for several years. One day, breakthrough for the younger boy. Something happens to him. He sees the light or he, something happens. He gets hooked on phonics or something happens. And all of a sudden, he comes home with a report card. And he's got two A's on the report card. So all of a sudden, oh my goodness. So now the dad takes down the money and he puts down seven for the older boy. And he puts down two and he says, give these to your brother. The older brother says, no, I don't want to give him any. He doesn't deserve any. No. Dad says, okay, a little strange, but maybe it's just a one-time situation. Little guy does his chores that week too. Again, the, the straight A's have revolutionized, the, the, the new life has revolutionized his kid's life, does his chores. Dad comes again, time to hand out the allowance. The older kid throws a hissy fit and says, how could he and why does he and all this kind of stuff? He throws a little temper tantrum. And this continues so in this manner for several days. <clears throat> what would you say to this older child? What would you say to this older child? How do you feel about this older child? As if there's any second children here, all right, especially if there's second children who struggled, all right, just to kind of get themselves above water. How do you, second children, feel about this older son? He's got a problem. And what's his problem? Many problems. Okay, don't, don't reveal your older brother's problems right now. Okay, don't. <laughs> but his problem that we can say is that we can all agree that he's got a sharing problem. He's got an issue with sharing. He doesn't like to share. And if you remember back when we were kids, the most important lesson 
unless you're an only child. If you're an only child, maybe a little unique situation. But if you're not an only child, the most important lesson that your parents had to teach you is you had to learn how to share, especially the larger the family got. Do y'all ever see the movie Cheaper by the Dozen? Okay, the people with the 12 kids, okay, as a real uh, true story. All right, the more people in the family, the more the importance of sharing. You're an only child, you can get away with being selfish. All right, you can get away with just living and doing stuff. I'm not calling any only children selfish. I'm just saying you can get away with it. But the larger the family is, the more important it is to learn this concept of sharing. If you're in a family like the cheaper by the dozen family, and there's 12 people in that family, 12 kids in that family, and one child decides he is not going to share, he is not going to let anyone else touch the meatballs for dinner, he is not going to let anyone else play with these toys, he is not going to let anyone else wear his clothes after he's done with him, what is that grounds for in a family like that? Well, depends how you punish your children whatever way that you want. But that's grounds for some serious discipline from the parents. Agree? Same thing translates to our spiritual family as well. The word that we're going to talk about throughout this series is the word evangelism. And it's a fancy word that means different things to different people. Some people say, I say, we're going to talk about evangelism. Say, yes, very good. We need to talk about evangelism. We need to talk about people preaching on the corner of the street. We need that. Other people say, no, 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 no. I agree we need evangelism, but evangelism is by your actions. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Some people say, no, 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 no. We need evangelism by doing acts of kindness and mercy and helping the poor. And that's how we evangelize. And you say this word evangelism and everyone has a different idea. Everyone agrees on the concept, but everyone has different ideas of how it should be implemented. And there's a reason for that. What does evangelism mean? What does it mean the way it is intended to be meant by, like what does God mean when, when, when he talks about evangelism, when the Bible talks about evangelism? What does it mean? Is evangelism like marketing? It's like the church's sales department. Okay, so we need to determine some people to be in charge of sales, to go out there and sell our church to people. Is that what it is? It's like a door-to-door -door kind of a thing, that you're selling people on something? I think evangelism is a lot simpler than we realize, and I go back to that example of the two kids. An evangelist is simply someone who shares the good news that they have received. Simple. An evangelist doesn't need to go door to door. He may go door to door. He doesn't need to stand on the corner. Again, he may, but he doesn't need to do any of those things. An evangelist is simply someone who heard something good and shares that good news with someone else. What happens? All of us are the same. What happens? You go and visit someone in their house, and you say, like, this happens a lot of times to me, and I'll be like, you know, that's a nice uh, table. And they'll say, oh, you know how much uh, deal I got on that table? You know how much money I saved on that table? I got it online from someone. And, it... and people love to share when they save money on something, right? We love it. That's a nice tie. Oh, you know how much I paid for this tie? We love to share when we find a good deal. That's a form of evangelism, just about a different topic. But that's evangelism. Hey, I heard something great. Hey, I found a great deal online. Hey, those people are giving away stuff. Evangelism is simply, I heard something good, and then I go and share it with someone else. If you go in the Bible, different forms of biblical evangelism. The earliest that you see in the Gospels is in Luke chapter 2, when the angel came and said the following, Luke 2.10. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
That's evangelism. An angel knew before other people knew. There's a group of shepherds over there, and they didn't hear this good news. So I heard this good news because I'm up in heaven, and I heard the news before the people on earth. So I came down and said, hey, I got good news for you. There's born unto you this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus himself was an evangelist. Look what it says about Jesus, Luke 8.1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city, talking about Christ, and every village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Evangelism, as you see here, does this, usually we say evangelism, and we think uh, offensive, uh, intrusive, um, difficult. Does this sound offensive to anyone? Does this sound offensive? Jesus came, he had good news. Does this sound politically incorrect? Does this sound intrusive or offensive or intolerant or whatever kind of words you want to say? This is just simple. I heard something good. You people don't know. A Savior is born to you this day in the city of, of Bethlehem, and his name is Christ the Lord. The goal of this series, well, let me tell you the goal of today and then the goal of this series. The goal of this series is to give an outline of where evangel what evangelism is and what's our role in it. And the goal of the series is to be very practical and answer the same questions that a lot of you think when you hear about evangelism. Now, how do I do it? What do I say? What shouldn't I say? And we're going to talk about all of those things in detail. But what I want to do today is I just want to kind of give an overview about the importance of evangelism and our role in it. So we'll talk about the practical, the how-tos, starting next week. But today, I want to talk about where do you and evangelism fit with one another? Where does God see your role when it comes to this topic of evangelism? And we're going to go back to third grade. We're going to answer those questions you see in your handout about evangelism. Who, what, where, when, how, and why? Because there's a lot of different people who have different beliefs. We're talking about from the Bible. Who, what, where, when, how, and why we should do evangelism and its role in our life. First, we'll start with the what. All right. We'll talk about the what. What is the goal of evangelism? Is the goal of evangelism to be baptizing people? Is that like the measure of success? Like we're going to go out in the street, we're going to bring a bucket of water, and when anyone is, is, accepts, we're going to dunk them right there on the spot. Is that what it means? What's the goal of evangelism? Is the goal of evangelism to bring everyone to church? Is the goal of evangelism to make everyone Coptic Orthodox? What's the goal of evangelism? If we don't know the goal, then we're going to be confused. I always say, and y'all heard me say this before, the goal of evangelism is none of those things. Everything in Christianity, especially in the ministry of Christ, always more focused on the process and less on the results, right? Christ was focused on the process, the how, and less on the results. That's why I say this. Y'all heard me say this before. The goal of evangelism is bringing Christ to others, not bringing others to Christ. The goal of evangelism is bringing Christ to others, not bringing others to Christ. What's the difference? The difference can be seen Luke chapter 10, verse 1. This is when Jesus sent out the 70. It says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. He sent them two by two into every place where he was about to go. The goal of evangelism, the objective, is not that I take you and I say, you are going to be Christian today whether you like it or not. And I'm going to follow you to your car. I'm going to follow you to your workplace. I'm going to give you Bible verses up your, in your ear. 
Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just flood you with all kinds of Christianese speak, and you are going to be Christian whether you like it or not, and I'm not going to find or grab you by the hair until you accept. That's not the goal. Of, that's, not, that's not what Jesus did. That's not what the apostles did. What they did was the opposite. What they did is they say, everywhere I go, I'm going to bring you Jesus. And if you accept, you accept. And if you don't, you know what's going to happen when you turn the corner and you meet someone else from this church? He's going to bring you Jesus too. They know what's going to happen when you go to work and you happen to work with that guy over there? He's going to bring you Jesus too. And I bet you if you see Jesus here, then you see him over there, then you see him over there, then you see him over there, it's going to be pretty hard for you to resist. Don't you think? If you see Jesus at work, at home, in the street, playing basketball, everywhere you see him, it's going to be pretty hard for you to resist because that's who he is. And my job isn't to be, we're going to talk about this later on. Every single person who comes to Christ, in my opinion, there has to be many steps. Think of it like a chain, okay, like a chain that has many, many, many links. And this person needs to see Christ. Everyone needs to see Christ and hear Christ. They can need to hear his word, but they also need to see him in action. So they need to see him and hear him. This person needs it 175 times. You may be number 14 in the chain, or you may be number 16 in the chain. You may be number 100 and, I don't know what I said, let's say the end is 175. You may be 174. Every now and then, you may be 175, but that's not, that doesn't matter. The job is just to do, the goal is just to do my job in, in the process and bring Christ to every person I meet so that when they finish with me, they'll say, you know what? I saw Jesus today. I met Christ today. True story, just a couple days ago. I was down in uh, Florida, and there was a group of us priests who were down there. We get together every year after Easter, just kind of hang out. Spiritual things, of course, spiritual hangout, okay? So we were, uh, we were playing basketball, okay? Which is what, what priests do together, okay? And we were playing ball, and there was, there was five of us playing. Okay, so five is an odd number, so we needed to pick up. Okay, so there were these three high school kids. I, probably, I think they were high school kids. Okay, so I was playing with the three high school kids. So there was four, and me and the three high school kids, and we were playing, all right? The first game, of course, we won, okay? And that was because we had good ball distribution. The second game, one of those high school kids decided that he was not going to pass the ball very much, which doesn't make me very happy, okay, when you're on my team, especially because we had a good motion on the ball the first game, and we won pretty good. So um, we're playing, okay, and he's not passing the ball. And I want to tell him, and I subtly say, hey, guys, keep that ball moving around the circle. And you know what I mean? And then I say, okay, I'll check it up, and let's try to keep the ball moving around the circle. And the ball always dies right there. We lose that second game. All right, we lose that second game. And some, some people would say I'm slightly competitive, okay? Some people would say that. So I'm kind of ticked off, okay? We lose the game, and then, of course, we do the handshake and all that stuff. And one of the other priests, who's a real missionary, as soon as the game finished, he said, hey, let's all say a prayer together. I said, okay. And honestly... I felt that little. Because all I wanted to do was curse the guy for not passing the ball. And that was what I was ready to do as soon as the game ended. Now that we lost, I wanted to say, you jacked up 40 shots. This was not the most effective way. But this other priest, but because he won, it was easier for him too. So keep that in mind. Okay, keep that in mind. And these kids, these little, like they were like these punk kids. Okay, they were just like punk high school kids. They said, let's pray together. And he prayed. Very short, very beautiful prayer. And please, God, bless these kids. And I didn't, wasn't really focusing on the rest of the prayer, okay? But it was a very nice prayer. <laughs> My point is, 
We didn't convert those kids. No one baptized anyone, okay? We certainly weren't in, in the proper situation to baptize anyone at that moment in time anyway. No one baptized anyone. No one converted anyone. No one invited anyone to church. But I think those people saw Christ that day. Not in me, okay? In the other priests. They saw Christ that day. And that's evangelism. That's what it means. Evangelism doesn't mean that, the, like, we want to get rid of this idea that mission and evangelism is an activity. It's not an activity. It's a life. And this priest had that life where everywhere he went, he wanted to show Christ to whoever was in front of him. I give him a lot of respect. Evangelism is bringing Christ to others, not bringing others to Christ. If you judge Christ himself on the amount of people that he brought to himself, by the end of his life, you would say he didn't do a very good job, right? Everyone left. So if you look at just the results, you would say he didn't do a very good job. But if you look at the process, he was perfect. Because every person that saw him saw the face of God. That's our job as well. Now, why should I do that? What should be my motivation to get up off my couch and go out there in the street, talk to people, ugh, too much of a pain, too much of an effort? Why should I? Two reasons why you should. Number one, you should to show appreciation for God. Because what I discovered is this. Say what you want to say. Your words are meaningless. If you don't talk about something, then you don't really appreciate it. Bottom line. And this is what I always tell people. I'll give the singles some advice right now. All right, those who are single and trying to meet somebody and figure out, is this guy, whatever is about this guy or girl. I always ask the question, say, I had this guy and he's a doctor and he's a lawyer and he's a doctor and a lawyer, okay? And he comes from the best family and he's a deacon. That's fantastic. I don't care about any of that stuff. Does he love God? Does he love God? Does the boy love God? Once I hear the answer, I don't know. We didn't talk about it. I'm a little hesitant. A little hesitant. I'm not saying no or she. It could be either way. But what I'm saying, when somebody loves God, you know. When somebody appreciates what God has done in their life, you know, and it doesn't take that many conversations to realize that God is an integral part of this person's life. You say you appreciate what God has done for you, but if you don't tell anyone about it, I don't believe your words. Today, I get a text message that says, you won the lottery, $1 million. What are the chances that I keep that to myself? And I say, you know what? No, let's just keep it a surprise. Let's not tell anyone. If I find out I won the lottery, the session today would look much different. Much different, unless I don't believe it, and unless I think it's a hoax, and unless I'm not really convinced. There's a story in Luke chapter 17 about a time when 10 lepers came to Christ, and they begged him, please heal us. And Jesus said to them, go your way. Go and show yourself to the priest. He didn't say, I'm going to heal you. He just said, go show yourself to the priest. While they were on their way back to the priest, as they were walking, they got healing along the way. And here's what it says, Luke 17, verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, there was 10. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? I, I'm telling you, I think this story happens all the time. Here is God blessing 
and strengthening and encouraging and supporting. And how many people return back? And look what it says. He with a loud voice glorified God. It can't be that you appreciate something and you keep it to yourself. God doesn't ask us. God will not say, I need you to do evangelism, and then if you do it, I'll bless you. Never. Never. God says, I blessed you. I created you. I sanctified you. I saved you. I, 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 I. Now go be a witness. Don't make up stuff. Just go say what you have seen and what you heard. The lepers, I'm going to heal you. And your job is just to go tell people and bring glory to God. Why? Show appreciation. Two, to show love. Or I should say to express love. And did you know, when you share the good news with someone else, I would say that is the number one way that you can express your love for God. Not like it's a good way. I'm saying you want to put a smile on God's face. In the wedding ceremony, we have this, this, this prayer that said that it's, it's a command to the husband, to the wife, that you should always hasten to do that which will gladden her heart. Y'all remember that, husbands? Okay. Always hasten to do that which will gladden her heart. And not just do that which will gladden, but hasten. What's that mean? Like, quickly. Like, you see your wife, um, you know, is sad. Run over there and give her a hug. Run. Not walk, run. You see that she's, of course, this is the stuff that, this is the, the ideal, okay? We're not always there, but this is the ideal. Okay, you see your wife is, um, you know, the example I always give, like she's in bed and she's thirsty. Then you trudge yourself out of bed and you go get her a cup of water, okay? Because you desire to make her happy. You want to make her happy, not you have to. There's nothing that says you're married, you get the water. It's not like that. It's you say, here's someone, I want to make that person happy. Well, what makes the heart of God happy? You know what makes the heart of God happy? When you tell his children, when you share the good news with his children who don't know it. That kid who got D, 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 and all of a sudden, he wants to get an A. That when you share the good news with that kid, nothing makes God happier. Why? Well, forgive me. I'm going to go five minutes. Okay, five minutes on this one. The story of God, why this makes God's heart so happy. If you look at the grand scheme of things, sometimes we kind of look in a minute way, but let's look at a macro level of God and man, the story of God and man. The story of God and man is simple. God created man to live with him in paradise forever. And you see God and Adam and Eve and everyone's happy and they're smiling and everything is good. Everything is very good. Then a slimy little guy comes in there that slimy little guy convinces man to commit sin, to disobey God. What happened when there was sin? Smiley face became sad face. And sad face on both sides, but there's not many pictures of Jesus crying. Okay? Smiley face became sad face. Because now, the baby is away from the parents. Okay? Imagine an infant, a, a, a six-month-old, and away from mommy. The child is crying... But the father is crying more because the father understands that, that child can't live by himself. He's six months old. He can't do nothing. Can't feed himself. Can't clean himself. Can't do nothing. Can't fend for himself. Like he can't do nothing. So the dad is more sad than the kid. 
So the dad says, you know what? God has saved this kid. And the angels say, no, 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 who cares about the kid? He's just a little. And Jesus says, God says to the angels, leave me alone. I'm going to save my kid. Let's send the law. Law didn't work. Send prophets. Prophets didn't work. Send kings. Send judges. Send, 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 send. None of that worked. He said, you know what? You want to get a job done right? You do it yourself. I'm going down myself. And he not pulled out the Superman. He did the opposite. He took off the Superman and put on the humanity. And he put humanity on and he came down to this earth. Why? Because that six-month-old couldn't save himself. So he came down and said, Boyd, deal with me. And the whole point of this process was that when he came down, he made a bridge. And because of the Savior, now the boy can come live up here. And then the Savior, because he's infinite, okay, he's all over the place. And he's grabbed. And he's taken as many people to live up here. Because down there, that baby isn't going to last. It's a jungle out there. And there's lions. Okay, imagine a baby, not just by himself, but in a, in a jungle with lions who love to eat babies. So here is a lion-eating baby, baby-eating lion. Okay, that's what it is. Okay, so here he is, and he's coming down here. But then here's the problem. Here's the problem. Is that some people don't know about this. And some people don't realize that there's a bridge. And that's where you come in. Because you found a bridge. You found it. And you found, I'll give you another example, I'll give you another analogy. You're in a house that's burning, on fire. You found the fireman. Look, there's the fireman. You say, I love the fireman. But you know that there's people in other rooms. And you're just going to walk out? You're just going to walk out? And there's people in other rooms? Not going to even give them a heads up? Hey, fireman is over here. Like, okay, if they ignore you, they ignore you. But you're just going to walk out of a burning building? Man, you should be thrown in jail for that. Don't you agree? If this place is on fire, and there's people over there that know the way out, and they just leave us over here to burn, they should go to jail. What about if it's an everlasting fire? What if it's not a fire that just takes away your body, but a fire that takes away your soul? And you know the way out? And you saw the fireman? You see the ladder? And there's lions? And fire? And stuff? I know, I mixed them both together, okay? The lions are on fire, Okay? Believe me, we laugh, but I bet you hell's going to be a lot worse than lions and fire. I bet you it's going to be a lot worse. I, I think the people who was going to spend eternity in hell would pray, give me the fire and the lions compared to what's going to be down there. Every soul that doesn't make this connection breaks the heart of the Father so much. So you say, I love you, God. And he says, okay, if you love me, don't tell me you love me. Save my boy from the fire. Save my daughter from the lion. True story. I've told you all this before. I have a friend who has a disease. It's called multiple sclerosis. All right? And this friend of mine is about my age. I think he's actually a little bit older. And we've been friends for a while. And I've seen him. He doesn't live here. He lives somewhere else. And I've seen him gradually deteriorate, okay? You know multiple sclerosis is? Okay, it's a debilitating disease. And it just eats away at your muscles, okay? And you slur your speech and you can't walk and all that kind of stuff. So I've seen, like, I knew him when he was perfectly healthy, okay? And he had his whole life ahead of him. And, and then I've seen him, this gradual decline. Now the good news is, like I always say, 
is this guy is better than me and you combined. He's got more faith. He's stronger in his faith. And nothing is affecting his relationship with God. And he's doing his best. Physically, he's struggling. But emotionally and spiritually, A+. But it's his mom. And you can imagine. It's his mom that breaks my heart. Because it's his mom that has to watch him suffer and see her son that is never going to get married and is never going to have a job. And it's just basically going to be in the wheelchair until, like, unfortunately, unless there's a major breakthrough that we don't know about, until he just he goes away. All right? The mom weeps. And you can imagine why. Okay? It's easier for the mother if she would just go than to watch this. Right, moms? Easier for you just to go than to watch this. Agree? Now imagine that today, since I won the lottery, okay, that I go out and I discover the cure for multiple sclerosis. I discover the cure. Here it is. It's this. Nobody knows. Secret. I have it here in my pocket. And then I look at the boy and I say, okay, have a nice day. And someone says, hey, why don't you share with him? I say, you know what? I don't want to be intrusive. And I don't want to be offensive. No, no, no. It's okay. And then I say, what should happen to me? What should happen to me? What do you think? You, the people of the United States of America. Here, kid with multiple sclerosis. I have the cure. I refuse to share. What would you do to me? Number one, you'd beat me silly. Number two, you'd beat me even more silly. Number three, you'd throw me in jail where you would tell the other prisoners to beat me silly. Because that's a crime. Do you have the guts? Like, I always think about the mom. Could you look that mom in the face and say, lady, I could cure your son, but I don't want to. I could make him whole again, but I refuse. Because I'm lazy. Or because I'm tired. Or because I don't know what to say. Or because I didn't have a degree in it. Or because, and whatever excuse you want to give, you got the guts to say it to that mom? Well, my fear is some of us are going to say it to someone even higher than the mom. We're going to have to look in his eyes and say, you know what? We didn't care about your kids. But we had good coffee. And we had a really nice room. Okay? There wasn't that many seats, but we were all comfortable. And we, got, we had plenty of parking because we didn't tell anyone. That's why. Who should do evangelism? Simple. Who are the commandees? I don't know the right word for that. The people who are commanded to do evangelism, the commandees. Anybody who says, I love God. Because how can you say you love God if you don't care about his kids? How can you say you love me if you see my kid and you don't care about my kid? Then you don't love me. That's why St. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. St. Paul says, look, I'm not preaching because I'm bored. I'm not preaching because I, I need uh, some, something to keep me busy or like a job. If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Why? Because I love him. And he died for them. So I got no option here. I can't love him and not care about his kids. A Christian who doesn't believe in evangelism, or not, not doesn't believe, we all believe in it, who doesn't do it, 
a Christian who doesn't do evangelism is not a Christian. You're not a, you're not a follower of Christ. You can't say that you love God if you're not willing to do something here. That's why, you know, some people say, like, you know the term mission church. And, like, people say that we are a mission church. I don't like the term mission church. I haven't liked it from the start. Because there's no such thing as a mission church. Everyone is a mission church, but it's just mission different people. And some people, like people in Egypt, need to know this message. So some people are missioning to the people in Egypt. And some people are missioning to the people in Arlington. And some people are missioning to the people in the suburbs. And some people are missioning to the people in the, in the, in the city. Mission, forget about the term. There's no such thing as mission church, mission. There's none of that. All of us, all of us, if we love God, then we have a duty to tell God's children about this good news and to share it with everyone. Mission just looks different because the audience is different. You're going to tell this to your coworker, different than you're going to talk to someone in Upper Egypt, different than you're going to talk to someone in India, different than you're going to talk to someone in the suburb versus the city. So that's why this idea of mission, like it's gotten a bad name or a wrong name, for, throw that term away. If you love God, you share the good news. And every one of us is called to do that in whatever circle we're in. That's actually, well, that's the next question, the where. Where are we supposed to be doing this? Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Witness equals evangelism. Witness to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Told them to start in Jerusalem. Why start in Jerusalem? Don't over-spiritualize. Don't over-analyze. I hear all kinds of great meditations about why Jerusalem and Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You know what Jerusalem is? Jerusalem is wherever they are right now. And if they had been standing on the moon, he'd say, start on the moon, then go to Jupiter, and then go to Uranus. And if they had been standing in Arlington, he'd say, start in Arlington, then go to Fairfax County, then go to um, Maryland. Okay. He's saying, start where you are. You look down, where are your feet? In Jerusalem? Hey, let's start in Jerusalem. If you're a student, start in your school. If you live in a house, start in your house. If you live in Arlington, start in Arlington. The point is, we're trying to talk about something that is not an event as much as it is a lifestyle. That's why the next question, when? When goes along with where? When? 2 Peter 4.2. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. When should you preach the word? In season and out of season. What's the difference between in season and out of season? In fall or not in fall? In summer or not in summer? Which means, yeah, now, right now, always, like, don't over-spiritualize it. Like, if you do it when it's in the season or outside the season, there's no other options. It means do it now, wherever you are, start now. Back to my example of the wife. I always hasten to do that which will gladden her heart. When should I tell my wife I love her? When should I tell her? Hmm, I got an idea. Okay, today is May 12th, so maybe on the summer, I'll plan a time to tell her that I love her. Isn't that a good idea? You know what? And I'll tell her for two weeks straight. No. You tell her whenever. Um, every day, okay, in theory, okay? You tell her as often as you feel it, or you should say it even when you don't feel it, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't plan a season to tell your wife you love her. To tell her that you love her. And it's the same thing with God. You don't plan a time of say, okay, after I finish this, then I'll be in evangelism. There's no such thing. Evangelism is not an event. It's a lifestyle. Last question, 
is the hardest of all the questions. And this is the one that I'm not really going to answer today. This is the one we're going to answer over the next four weeks. Okay, but I'll just give you a, a, an overview today. Usually, when it comes to the how, how do I be an evangelist? I don't know how to do it. I never got a degree. I don't read the Bible that much. I'm not very smart. Look, all those things may be very true. But that doesn't stop you from being an evangelist. Because being an evangelist is less about what and more about how. What do I mean by that? Go back to Acts 1.8. Jesus told them, you shall be my witnesses. How much training do you need to be a witness? You ever been? Anyone ever had jury duty? All right, or have you ever? I never had jury duty. Okay, I don't know why they wouldn't want me to be in jury duty. Okay, but I always get passed on by. But I've seen the people's court. All right. And if you see, I don't say this in a derogatory way, the level and caliber of people that come up as witnesses on the people's court or whatever it is now, Judge Judy or whatever it may be, you don't, my point is you don't need to be the most intellectual and the highest caliber of folks to be a witness. Anybody on the street can be a witness. All you need to be to be a witness is somebody who say, I know nothing in the whole wide world, but I saw that car hit that car on that day. I'm the dumbest person ever. I never went to school a day in my life. I don't even know how to tie my shoes. But I saw that car hit that car, and that's all I know. That's all you need to be to be a witness. Being a witness is less about training and more about willingness to step out of my comfort zone. That's all it takes. Let's be honest. We use lack of skills, lack of training as excuses. What's the real reason? Fear. We're afraid. We don't want to do it. And I'm telling you, both hands up. I'm the number one, one, number one person who's afraid. You didn't think you'd hear me say that, did you? You think, here I am, I stand up here. Look, I discovered it's a lot easier to stand up here and talk to you than to go out there and talk to one person. A lot easier. I'm just as afraid as you are. True story. This happened probably, this was probably two, three years ago. It always happens when I get on airplanes. Something about airplanes. There's something about them. I think it's the being locked in next to someone. I, when I get on a plane, I don't like to talk to the people. It's not that I, I'm rude, okay? It's just, it's, I, I'm not the most, like I told y'all, I'm very introverted, and somehow whenever I get on a plane, like, number one, I don't fly well, okay? So my stomach, my knees, my back, like, it's, it's not, like, I need to focus on get through this flight alive. The way that I usually try to get through is I usually just go to sleep, and that's the magic formula for me. I try to go to sleep, and I can do it. I've done it many times. I can sleep before takeoff and sleep and arrive and landing, and I slept the whole time. That's the key for me to ensure a happy flight for everyone around, especially when I'm tired. I remember I got on this plane. I remember where I was going. I remember it was a Saturday night. I think I was, I was at someone's wedding. I don't really remember. And I was coming back late Saturday night, and I got church on Sunday morning. All right? So I needed to do one of two things on this plane. I needed to either A, prepare, or B, sleep. Because if I sleep, then I won't be tired when I go home. I can prepare. Or I can prepare and sleep when I go home. I need to do one of those two things. I don't care which one. I tell God, I don't care which one. I can sleep, 
If you let me sleep, I'll sleep. If you don't let me sleep, let me have a nice focus to prepare. Sleep, prepare. Those are the two options. I sit, and here I am, and I got my window. I always go for the window, because that way I can just lean towards the window and ignore what's going on right here. Always. So here I am, I got my window. And I'm always watching to see who's coming next to me, all right? And I'm always praying, praying, praying. Please be someone who doesn't like to talk. Please be someone who doesn't like to talk. And I see this kid come next to me, probably 18, 20 years old, something like that. He's got the spiky hair and, like, trendy. And, like, you can just tell, like, this guy likes to talk. <laughs> this guy's talking with everybody inside. And I'm like, oh, no. But that's okay. When he sees me, he's not going to want to talk to me. All right. There was, so there's me in the window, him in the middle. And there was this nice young lady over here. I'm like, okay, that's good. Maybe something will work out. Like, they'll talk to each other. <laughs> About the same age. Like they, he'll surely be more interested in talking to her than talking to me. He starts a conversation with me. And it always starts the same. What are you? <laughs> a, I'm tired. <laughs> B, I'm a human being. Okay. So I, 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 I like kind of have this like, uh, what's that? Oh, yeah, 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 I, I'm a priest. Yeah, thank you. And I'm like just trying to like answer and like, oh, what, what? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to like throw, send the vibe out there. Like I'm not really interested in conversating. It's a late night. It's like a 10 o'clock flight. It arrives at midnight. Like let's just all sleep, okay? Keeps on talking, keeps on talking, keeps on talking. And you know when you feel the tug inside you? I felt that tug. And I was so annoyed at God. I was so annoyed at God. Because I feel him tugging. And he's saying to me, talk to that boy. I don't want to talk to that boy. I don't want to talk to that boy. And I'm like angry. And I'm like talking to him. And I'm like angry. And finally I realized, you know what? <laughs> Imagine, this is what I felt God telling me. You're a doctor. I sent someone with a prescription to you. You're a pharmacist. Okay, I sent someone with a prescription to you to get the medicine. Don't say you're closed for the night. Open the door. Talk to him. Because as annoyed as I was at God, he was saying to me, I'm going to be more annoyed at you if you don't talk to this boy. So I talked to the boy. We talked the entire flight. We talked about everything under the earth. We talked about heaven. We talked about hell. The girl jumped in the conversation too. No joke, I took his confession on the plane. <laughs> it was one of those James 5.16, confess your trespasses to one another, okay? And we talked the whole time. I don't know where that boy is right now. I don't know where he is. But I know this. Had I not talked to him, and had I gone up there, I'd have been scared to look at his father's face. I'd have been scared to look into his father's eyes. His father's eyes. Who happens to be my father, but in this situation, he's his father. Believe me, with all my heart, I would much rather pray for that kid, give him 10,000 sermons to listen to. I'd rather do anything than talk to that kid. But how am I going to look at his dad and say, I'm tired. Don't you know I'm tired? Yeah, I know I have the prescription, but I'm tired. If you got the guts to do that, you're a stronger man than me. That's why you remember our core values. You guys remember our core values, right? We have 10 core values here at STSA, 10 core values. And the ninth core value 
is focused on evangelism. It's the personal call to evangelism. And it applies to you and me and every one of us. And it says this, that we believe that the call to evangelism and witnessing applies to me just as much as it did to the apostles in the early church. God will hold me accountable to its completion. Every word there was chosen by God. God will hold me accountable to its completion. Like we talked about when we talked about this before. I'm not saying that I'm responsible to preach to every single person in the world, but I am responsible for a piece of that. And when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, I'm not supposed to do all nations, but I got a part of that. And I may have just a couple people in those all nations. And I may have an Arlington part. You may have a Fairfax part. Somebody got, may got a Maryland part. Somebody may have an Africa part, an Egypt part, a China part. Uh, it doesn't matter. Everyone's got a part. The sum of all of us is responsible for that great commission to preach the gospel and make disciples to every single person on this planet. And God will hold me accountable to it, and he will hold you accountable to it as well. Believe me, God has a great plan here for this church. And I spoke about that during the liturgy today for those who are here. God has a great plan of what he wants to do inside these walls and with the people who's in these seats right here. But if we're going to realize that plan, we've got to be willing to step out of our comfort zone. We've got to be willing to be a little bit uncomfortable. The apostles, for them, go to leave Jerusalem. <sighs> but my whole life is Jerusalem. It's the only language I know. I don't know the language in, in, in India. I don't know the language in Antioch. I don't know the language there. I don't know the culture there. It's easier for me just to be here. My family's here. Everything is here. No, no, no. You got to go. But I got nothing to fall back on over there. My job, I fall back. No, you got to go. And because they were willing to step out of their comfort zone, here we are today. Because they were willing to leave their comfort zone, here we are today. Where is the future generations going to be because we are willing to step out of our comfort zone. You want to dream with me? You like to dream? Anybody like to dream? I like to dream. Where's Arlington County going to be 10 years from now? I don't want to say one year from now. I got one year, but I'll say 10 years from now. Where do you think Arlington, where do you think Fairfax Drive is going to look like 10 years from now? Look the same? I'm not saying we're going to convert everyone. I'm not saying we're going to do Bible studies to everyone. I'm not saying we're going to I'm not saying none of that. But what I'm saying is, is that every single person up and down this street in Arlington County will have seen Christ. That's the dream. And you know what? What I discovered, when they see me, but when they see him, that's all our goal is. Is to show him to every single person that we meet. Remember our mission statement? You guys remember what our mission statement is here? Our mission statement is that we exist to transform lives in the D.C. metro area through an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ founded upon the life and teachings of the Orthodox faith. Say it with me. Okay, read it here with me all together, loud voice. We exist to transform lives in the D.C. metro area through an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ founded upon the life and teachings of the Orthodox faith. We exist... So that people's lives are transformed. We talked about this. Our lives and then the lives of those we touch. That's how it is. Is that God wants to change us and then God wants us to go out and that same transformation will go through us and hit other people. And how are we going to do that if we are not willing to step out of our comfort zone? If we are not willing to take a step of faith? If we are not willing to open a conversation? Now, with that said, 
I know, like I said, it's not easy and it's difficult, and I don't think I'm an expert at it by any means. But together, over the next four or five weeks, we will discuss how to do that practically. And what you're going to see, I promise you, stick with me on this one, I promise you, you're going to see that being an evangelist is not what you think it is. It's a lot simpler. And some of the best evangelists in this room here today are people that you would never consider evangelists. And even they themselves wouldn't consider themselves evangelists. But they have the ability to show Jesus to other people, and that's what it's all about. I want to leave you all here with this verse. And it's a scary verse, but a happy verse. It starts happy and then gets scary. But I'll talk about it in flip. Matthew 10, 32. I told you all, this is the verse that changed my life so many years ago. It says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. Great verse. Glory be to God forever. Amen. No. It's a coin and it's got two sides. What's the second side say? But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You know me, I like to end happy, so I'll start sad. You walk out in the street today, you walk out here, and you see my son standing in the middle of Fairfax Drive, and you see a car coming, and you have the ability to grab him by the hand, and you do nothing. That's what that verse says. You see my son about to get hit by a car, and you have the ability, and you do nothing. And then you come tell me you love me? And you come say, please help me at work? Excuse me? Please bless my marriage? What's that? Now let's flip it. You see my son about to get hit by a car, and you run and you save him. Now how's that interaction going to look? What do you want? You want my money? Take my money. You want my house? Take it. You saved my son? Tell me whatever it is that you want. Like, what price am I going to say, no, 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 you don't deserve that. Tell me what you want. You come to me and say anything that you want. You saved my son from getting hit by a car? That's it. I'm your servant for life. And you say, no, 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 no. I'm your servant. You're the priest. I'm, I'm like, no, 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 no. You saved my boy or my daughter, okay? You saved my child. The kingdom is yours. I want to picture that second picture. I don't want to think about the first one, but I have to preach the first one because it's in the Bible. I don't want to say it, but I have to say it. But it's that second picture. That imagine getting right here and being like, you know, I kind of did some bad stuff in life. I wonder how what the king's going to say to me. You know the first thing he's going to say? You saved my son, didn't you? Say, yeah, but you know, I, uh, I made some mistakes here. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Because there's no reward too big for someone who saved my son. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We don't often think about ourselves walking into eternity, but the truth is we're going to walk into eternity, and that's going to be one of the things that we're going to have to face. And I want you to dream big about what God's going to say to you when you walk in there. Starting next week, we're going to talk about some practical practical what does it mean to be an evangelist doesn't mean necessarily like i said what you think it means we're going to come next week but to this week important thing 
as we're all willing to say is the importance of it, and I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone because he is that important to me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's stand up and say a prayer together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, which is beyond our imagination and beyond our comprehension. Thank you, Lord, that everything that you have given to us. But Lord, we don't want to just say thank you with our mouths, but our actions show the opposite. Lord, I pray that during this series here together, that you would give us to really be bold, as your apostles were bold, and take bold steps to proclaim the good news to every single person that we meet. Lord, if, if we're honest, we're all scared by that thought. We're kind of scared by the idea of talking to people or, or getting rejected by people. or It's kind of a scary thought. But we trust, Lord, that you will give us the tools that we need and you will direct our paths. And most important thing, Lord, even if we are utter failures, that you will have a big smile on your face because you'll know how much we love you how much we appreciate what you've done for us. Bless our church during this time, Lord, and continue to reveal your dream to our church every single day. And let Arlington never look the same, Lord, and let this, this, this county never look the same, and let this area never look the same based on the work that you're going to do here in us and through us. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Have a great week, guys. See you all next week.